Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, everyone? This is Mike Diebler, and welcome to episode 82 of the OCR Underground Show. Remember, if you want to check out the show notes for this episode, you can head on over to the website at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 82. Well, I'm pretty excited. This is uh, the first week of school for the kids, so I find myself with a decent amount of time. So I figure what better opportunity than to uh, sit down and get another podcast recorded. So hopefully everything goes smoothly, but so far off to a great start and pretty excited about that. Uh, well, I was hoping to get this out a little sooner. Um, recently, I was in Asheville running the Spartan Super out there. Uh, it's a couple weeks ago now, but I figured why not talk about it. That was my first time racing in Asheville. I know they've moved the location a few times, um, but it was, I thought, a great event. It was definitely harder than I thought. Um, I went in really not thinking it was going to be a much of a challenge. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. You know, every race is hard. But, you know, certain ones can can be set up a little bit more challenging. And I think going in, I was more thinking the elevation wasn't going to be too bad. So thinking, you know, a lot of those runner courses where it is flat tend to be a little bit easier. But, you know, you run a lot faster and and that can make up for it there. But there were some hill climbs and I I thought they were put at spots where it it just made it a little bit more of a challenge. Um, And I, I talked about in the previous episode, it could have been my week of uh, you know, having a few more drinks than normal most days of the week. That definitely wasn't the best way to prepare for this race. Uh, so maybe that did something. Um, but, you know, I grew up on the East Coast, but living in California now, we, we have some humidity, but not really anything uh, that we can complain about. So uh, running in that humid weather, I mean, it, it obviously makes a difference. So it was definitely a struggle just you know, keeping that breath under control and, and pushing it. So it was, was definitely a, I thought a challenging race, but I did, I enjoyed it. Uh, I loved the location. Uh, it was, you know, just a scenic run and, you know, I've mentioned this before, but it's just different. That's why I love traveling and doing all these different races because of the different scenery, all the different venues, you know, on the West coast, a lot of times we're kind of more brownish venues where it's more desert and sand and dirt and getting to the East Coast and, you know, in the hills of Asheville was was great or just outside of Asheville, um, a lot more green, uh, which is always a nice thing. Uh, I think the the surprise obstacle were the, uh, the yellow jackets <laughs> that were on the course. So they did have to reroute some of the course because of a, a hive, but I don't know if there were multiple hives or what it was. But I got stung a couple times. It seemed like uh, everybody I talked to at the finish line uh, got stung a few times. My wife got stung a few times. So it was just um, kind of not something uh, we were really expecting there. But, you know, just kind of when you're out in nature, you never know what can happen. So hopefully there were no serious issues with, with all the yellow jackets. But it definitely added a little bit something to it. Uh, as I, I realized what was going on, I was hoping it would kind of distract me and get me thinking about being stung versus, you know, all the other stuff I was going through. But um, again, I, I, I thought it was a great race. Uh, 
no no surprises pretty much all the uh the obstacles you would expect um i do think when we got to the sandbag carry that was probably one of the harder sandbag carries i've done in, in a little while just kind of uh it was kind of a steep uh decline when you when you first got into the woods and then uh, a pretty significant uh incline to get back to the beginning so i thought it was a you know uh, definitely a pretty challenging sandbag carry there um other than that to be uh uh really what you'd expect um so my next race is as of right now tahoe so definitely looking forward to that one over the next uh little over a month or so um I also have a couple updates I'm excited about that I wanted to uh, share in this episode. First up, I am going to start uh, instructing the Spartan uh, obstacle course or obstacle uh, specialist course course uh, at certain events. So it's going to be fun to get out there and get on some of the obstacles the Friday before uh, race day and show some of my best tips and strategies for overcoming some of these obstacles that you may be struggling with. So um, I'm working on some dates now. There's a good chance I will be at the LA Sprint in December. So out there on Friday um, when that's uh, hopefully that'll be uh, finalized soon. I can share the link and I'll put it in the show notes if you would like to sign up and join me. If you're struggling with any obstacles and want some of my best tips to help you overcome it, uh, I am happy to do it. I think it, it really gives you a huge advantage to, to get to practice on some of these obstacles that you may not see and to do it on the actual course so I can go over some not just strategies for giving you some techniques uh, to get you through the obstacle as efficiently as possible but we could even chat some training strategies as well when you, you don't have a lot of these things there uh, so looking forward to that as more dates come up i'll, I'll keep sharing those uh, and i also want to announce that my studio san diego premier training in carlsbad california is going to be a deca affiliate and we are going to be hosting some deca events uh, in the near future. So again, still working on some dates, but I at least wanted to get that out there. If you uh, wanted to try out one of the uh, DECA Strong or the DECA Mile, we're going to be able to host both of those. So I'm planning on at least one uh, by the end of the year, but I'm hoping we can get one of each of those once once we get everything situated and figured out and have the dates set. So uh, just want to announce that. Really excited for that. So be on the lookout if you're in the SoCal area and want to come try a, uh, one of the DECA events, which um, I haven't gotten to do one yet. So uh, uh, other than just doing the kind of at the studio, doing the events on my own, but I'm, I'm excited to do it in uh, at an event and uh, with competition and, and all that excitement. So, so really excited there. All right. Well, getting into this episode, uh, a couple great things that I have planned um, in the Inside Mike's Mind segment. I'm going to talk about form versus finish. Uh, or quality versus quantity and just something that kind of I know popped up recently during my workouts that I wanted to share you know kind of how you approach your training and um, you know some of the things that you should be considering to get the most out of those those training days. I wanted to share some research on the importance of ankle mobility and how it can uh, actually be an injury risk predictor and uh, finally in my coach's interview, I have on uh, SGX coach Brad Lane from It Starts Here Fitness in Rhode Island, and he's going to share some of his tips on taking your training to the next level. 
But before we get into it, I do want to take a minute and let you know about the sponsors to this episode. Uh, first up, we have Venga CBD, and I've been promoting Venga products for a long time now. I just think they make such a good CBD product. They uh, are designed specifically <clears throat> with the endurance athlete in mind. I just think that goes a long way for uh, the products they make and really helping aid with your training and with your recovery and CBD has been shown to really help in that process from improving sleep to reducing inflammation and just speeding up that recovery so you can train a little bit harder a little bit more often so they have a, a wide range of products out there and of course you can try them all but they do make that a little bit easier to see which of their products would work best for you so you can uh, take a quiz that they have on their website that will give you just uh, a little more uh, targeted approach to personalize it for you. So you can uh, check out their quiz on vengacbd.com. Uh, if you go to vengacbd.com slash OCR underground, you'll see a lot of the bonuses and perks for being a listener of this show which includes 25% uh, off your first order. So if you head on over there and use OCR Underground 25, you can get 25% off your first order, or you can get 50% off, that's right, 50% off your first month's uh, subscription if you sign up for their monthly uh, subscription using code OCR Underground 50. So pretty cool savings right there. So again, head on over to vengacbd.com slash OCR Underground. I also wanted to talk about Panmaster Plus. There are a ton of different grip tools that you can use out there, and, and some of them are amazing. Some of them come with a hefty price tag as well. So uh, this is such a simple tool you can take with you anywhere. You can travel. Uh, when you get the Handmaster Plus, you actually get three of them in the box. So uh, really cool that you can just uh, break them up and, and bring them wherever you need to. So it's, uh, again, as I've, I've talked about before, we're creating better balance of the joints that are in the hand, the wrist, uh, the muscles of the forearm, the hand, <clears throat> and not just focusing on the muscles that close the fist, right? And that's what most people think of with grip training, but actually creating some balance there and strengthening the muscles that open the hand as well for better balance, right? So we know what happens when you train a muscle out of balance. Like if all you do are push-ups and you never do a pulling exercise, you're gonna have posture that those shoulders roll forward like you've been sitting in a chair all day. And obviously we don't want uh, that at any joints of the body and our grip's no different, our hands are no different. So we wanna make sure we create balance there. So make sure you check out uh, www.handmasterplus.com uh, for their really cool grip training tool. All right, in the Inside Mike's Mind segment, we're gonna talk about form versus finish. I recently was thinking about this. Um, this past week, I was running, and uh, during my training, I was doing some, some hill sprints. Well, we'll call them hill sprints, but uh, these were approximately four minute, uh, pretty steep incline running. So I say sprint, uh, but I was probably moving pretty slow. But it was, you know, at, at a high intensity, so my heart rate was, you know, over 90%, um, really trying to push it to get to the top of this hill as fast as I could, but, but a very long hill. So it took a few minutes to get there, and then I would recover in between, you know, just like any, any uh, hill sprint workout. And as 
going through my my reps and, and my sets, you know, I think it's like most people experience where the first set, it's not so bad. You know, your, your form probably looks so good. The second one, maybe not so bad. But as I would get further and further into this workout, you know, I just start to think like, man, what do I look like right now? If, if somebody were driving by and they saw me, you know, what's my posture look like? What's my form? You, you know, if they were able to uh, evaluate my technique, you know, what would they say right now? And as I got further into that workout, I can, I can just like feel myself, you know, slumping a little bit, you know, shuffling my feet almost, you know, just really starting to break down. And I just was was realizing, hey, this is not the way I want this workout to go, All right? I ideally I want my last set to be pretty much identical to my first set. You know, obviously it's not going to be totally the same. It's you know if you've been doing training for a, a little while and it, it's you're probably going to get a little bit slower and and things happen. So I'm not saying you're going to be able to stay as fresh as possible. Uh, for the entire workout, but I think at least consciously we should be thinking about about that form, about the technique. Now I'm using this hill sprint example, but this can translate into any exercise you're doing, right? You might be lifting. What's your first set look like versus your last set, right? So if you're doing some pull-ups, what's that first set look like? Maybe nice and clean, full range of motion. Does the last set look the same way, right? Now maybe you you uh, you can't do the same number of reps. Maybe you get eight reps the first set you know, seven the next and, and they go down, that's okay, right? That that probably is to be expected as we're doing an exercise like that. But the quality of those reps should be the same, right? If all of a sudden we're, we're swinging and our body is like convulsing as we're trying to get over the bar, right? This is a big deal. This is, you know, you're, you remember the last thing you did. So your body is remembering that last set. So we're, we're kind of teaching yourself to do these things poorly. So we wanna make sure we finish just as strong as we, we start. Now, like I mentioned, sure, your, your reps may go down, your speed may, may go down, that's to be expected, but what is what does the technique look like? So going back to my hill sprints, as I was going on, I started thinking about this and I said, um, <clears throat> if I have to slow down, it's okay. I know my heart rate's still gonna get up there, but the whole idea of training is, is to adapt, right? I'm not breaking any world records trying to sprint up this hill. It really doesn't matter that much if I get there 10 seconds faster than the previous one. What I want is the adaptation from this training. I want to get stronger. I want better conditioning, more endurance, stronger legs, you know, whatever, whatever goal we're working on. That's the adaptation that I'm looking for. And I know with me personally, one thing as I fatigue, especially with running, I, I see a quick drop in, in technique where, hey, in the beginning, my form probably looks really good. My cadence is up there and, and everything looks good. And then as soon as I start to, to fatigue, I'm trying to find ways to, to, to cheat essentially and um, make things easier. So if I don't have to think about my form as much, I can you know put my effort in other places and trying to run faster or maintain my pace, whatever it is. But then I started to realize, is this really what I'm looking for? Is I'm really, am I really just trying to get to the hill as, as fast as I can? Um, and I was realizing, no, of course not, right? I want to maintain form for as long as possible. So as I get to those later sets, if I slow down, I slow down, but I'm going to maintain as, as best form as I can, right? I'm never looking for perfect. What I'm looking for is good, right? As long as you're good enough, um, then I, I think we're, we're doing a lot of benefit there. So I want you to think about that in your training, you know, whether you're strength training or, or running or whatever it might be, how do you look in the beginning versus the end? right? It doesn't have to be identical, 
But if, you know, if you're, you're running some hill sprints and I happen to walk by and you're, you're on your, your 10th sprint, you know, what's that one going to look like? Would I be like, hey, that, that actually looks like pretty good form, you know, regardless of what the speed is? Or am I going to come over and look and say, man, that person is struggling and uh, it looks like they're, they're beating up their knees and, and all these other bad things if, if they continue on this path. So just keep that in mind, you know, it, even if it's just bringing it to a conscious level where you're, you're thinking about these things as best you can and focusing on that form. And, you know, you get to race day some of the rules are, are going to be bent and broken a little bit because now the goal is to get to that finish line as fast as possible. And, and sometimes you do things that, you know, you just have to do to, to get there. So, um, but that's the difference between competing and racing versus training. So just keep that in mind when you're training, we're training for that adaptation, not just, uh, some, uh, demonstration that you can, you can get up get up a hill faster or push a bar off your chest or pick it up off the ground, you know, with terrible form, what's that really doing? Uh, so that was just my insight that I had with my, my, uh, a recent training session. I thought that might be helpful for you guys. Just, you know, keep that quality up, you know, quantity is great if you can get it there. But I think if, if we're, uh, sacrificing that, that quality, it's just going to lead to, you know, injury issues potentially, but I just don't think you're going to get the most out of your training that way. All right, in uh, my research review, I'm going to talk about ankle mobility. And uh, actually, this past week, I did a uh, discussion group with Functional Movement Systems on this very topic with ankle mobility, and we just talked about its importance and, and went over a few exercises. So while it was fresh in my mind, I thought that this would just be a good topic to talk about. Um, so I wanted to share, one, just a specific study that, that looked at ankle mobility in athletes and and but hopefully more importantly, I'm going to leave you with a, just a couple tips and strategies to kind of see where your ankle mobility is and uh, what you can do about it if, if it's deficient at all. So when we look at, at movement, it's, it's pretty clear to see how important, you know, the feet and the ankles are. That's kind of where everything starts. You know, you generate power from the ground up. So your feet are what's in contact with your environment. So if, if we have a bad start, right, if the ankles are locked up and don't move, it's just going to be one compensation after another in order to create a movement, right? So for a while, this isn't a big deal, right? You can have tight ankles and go run and do some things and, and it's fine, right? Your body is resilient and it's going to find a way to do it. The problem is when we have lots of time, right? For you, we've been running for years, decades maybe, with this limitation, then we've had so many compensations, now our joints are getting beat up and they're in positions that they probably shouldn't be in, uh, this can cause a lot of different problems. And a lot of times we look at an injury like the, the knee, for example, and it's easy to blame the knee. You know, what's wrong with your knee? You know, my knee's not strong, I need to do, do things for the knee to get it better. But really, we have to think big picture, right? Is is that pain you're feeling, it's most likely just a, a symptom, right? It's not a cause. It's not where the problem is coming from. And, and oh, not always, but often we need to look at the, the joints surrounding, right? So if we're talking about the knee, you know, looking at the hips and looking at the ankles. And the ankle, just research is just showing how important adequate mobility here is. So if, if we keep seeing this come up in, in different research studies, it's something we really want to pay attention to and, and something you should be tracking 
and um, monitoring yourself. So in this particular study, this is from the Journal of Sports Medicine back in 2011, uh, that wanted to look at, you know, just could they, do they see a correlation with something like ankle dorsiflexion, which just means as your lower leg goes goes towards your toe, uh, towards your foot, or if you were to lift your your toes up off the ground and flex your ankle that way, that's that's what we're talking about with dorsiflexion. So we obviously can't eliminate all injury risk. There's if you're going to live and be active, there's a chance something could happen, right? But what we're trying to do is if we can find, identify risk factors, you know, things that increase your risk for something bad going happen to, uh, to happen, then we want to make sure, can we limit or eliminate any of those risk factors? And that's, that's essentially what we're looking at here. So what they did in this study, they had 75 athletes who they followed for a year. And basically at the start, they looked at their ankle range of motion. And that was basically it. They just want to see, okay, we have all these athletes. Let's see how well your ankle moves, how far you can dorsiflex. And then we're just going to follow up with you a year later and just see, do we have any injuries? And in this particular study, they were looking at patella injuries. So knee, knee issues that came up over the that the course of the year and what they found were 16 percent of those uh, athletes did develop that uh, an injury patella injury so when they looked at the statistics when you compare you know that's kind of what they do in these studies so if we have this group of people got hurt this group of people didn't get hurt do we have any differences so they looked at ankle mobility and they saw a very significant difference there that those that had less ankle dorsiflexion were the more, were more likely to have a an injury. And again, in this case, it was a knee injury. Um, and uh, what they actually found was there was a cutoff. So they found that those who had less than thirty six point five degrees of dorsiflexion um, had an increase of up to twenty nine point four percent of uh, injury occurrence. So pretty significant there. So if they were under that cutoff, that's where they saw a significant increase in injuries. Um, now, the, the next question is, well, did anybody have an injury with more than 65 point, uh, excuse me, 36.5 degrees? And yes, but this was 2%, uh, at most of a 2% risk increase. So it's just like anything you you can't eliminate you know stuff can still happen and there might be other causes uh, to you know injury but that's a pretty substantial difference two to thirty percent difference there so uh, this is such a simple thing that we can pay attention to and dramatically reduce our risk of injury uh, so what I wanted to make sure I, I talked about is what do, what do we do you know what's thirty six point five percent dorsiflexion um, because that's probably not something you're familiar with if you don't know how to measure joint angles and things like that. So what we can do, and there's a couple different ways you can test for ankle mobility. Uh, if, if you've ever gone through the functional movement system, there is an ankle mobility screen built in there. Um, but I'm going to give you an e even easier one that's uh, found to be very reliable. And it's just the wall ankle dorsiflexion test. You, you may have seen it before. Um, super simple. All you're going to do is measure four inches away from a wall and just kind of put a line down or a piece of tape or something like that. Then you're going to line your toe up on that line. And without lifting your heel off the ground, 
you're going to bend your knee and see if you can touch your knee to the wall. It's important that you make sure, one, your heel doesn't come off the ground and that your knee doesn't cave in when you do this. And usually I'll just say, if you look down, you should be able to see your big toe. If your knee is blocking your big toe, then, then you're cheating on that one. So you do have to make sure you do this one properly, otherwise you won't get a good reading. So this is just a pass-fail test. It's not perfect, but that will get you around that number, around 35% for most people, if you can touch your knee to the wall without lifting that heel off the ground. Um, so we wanna make sure we measure both sides. You can do it on the right, you can do it on the left, because we also wanna make sure there's not an asymmetry. So another very big predictor of injury is uh, asymmetry. Uh, uh, asymmetrical range of motion. So we're not going to be perfect, but when we see like a bigger, uh, a greater than 5% increase in left to right, uh, that's, that's going to be something that we do want to pay attention to. So uh, if you can touch on one side and you can't on the other, that's also a big thing that we want to make sure we take care of. Uh, if they can touch on both sides, you know, it doesn't mean you, it wouldn't hurt to do some ankle mobility work, uh, but it's probably not a priority for you. So we're mainly talking to those that either can't touch on either or can't touch on one, then this is something that we want to monitor, check regularly, and make sure we're making some improvements there. So let's say you you did not touch the wall on one or both, what do we do? Uh, so we could do some soft tissue work, right? We can do um, like rolling a, a lacrosse ball or a tennis ball on the bottom of the feet, using a massage stick or a foam roller, a massage gun on the calf. And, and just getting some good good movement in that muscle tissue, just trying to break up some of that dense tissue that might be tight there. Uh, then going through some ankle mobility drills. Now, obviously there's a million, you can Google ankle mobility and you're gonna get just a ton of, of different ankle mobility exercises. Uh, I'm gonna put a link, I'll put a link to as many of these exercises as I can in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about because sometimes they're just hard to explain. Um, but my go-to is I use a half kneeling kettlebell loaded uh, ankle dorsiflexion, which I know is a mouthful, but it's basically where you're on one knee with your foot kind of opened up about 45 degrees. You're hanging onto a fairly heavy kettlebell and you're going through, uh, you're kind of driving your knee as far forward past your toes as you can while holding that kettlebell and while maintaining a tall posture. There's, there's a lot of benefit from doing this way. I, I won't get into all of the different reasons, but um, it's just shown to be just a good way to work on that ankle mobility there. Now, um, the final step is we wanna make sure that, hey, if you get more range of motion, does your body know how to use it? So we wanna do some, just some drills that make us kind of learn this new range of motion. And, and there's a lot of drills we can do here, but I think the easiest thing, you can do it at home is, you know, like balance exercises, which might sound kind of weird, but, you know, picture somebody like really struggling with their balance. Look at what their ankle's doing. It's moving all over the place. It's learning how to stabilize. And uh, I think this is very helpful once you've already done your mobility drills is to incorporate some type of stability work. So I, I think, again, my go-to is like balance beam work. You know, you can just take like a two by four, put it on the floor uh, without looking down. You're just gonna walk forward, walk backwards, walk side to side, maybe try closing your eyes. There, there's a whole bunch of different balance beam exercises you can do to kind of to add as, as that final piece because just getting more mobility isn't, really all you need to do because your brain doesn't know how to use that mobility yet. Uh, so I think a really simple at-home exercise you can do is just working some balance after you do some, some mobility work. All right. So 
hopefully that, that gives you some insight. One, just at least becoming aware that, hey, maybe this is something you have to work on and then giving you a few exercises you can play around with there, but give them a try and, and see how you do. Hey guys, well, it's time for this episode's interview. And today I have on SGX coach, Brad Lane. Uh, Brad is a, has been a certified trainer since 2009. He's been a SGX coach since 2019. Uh, and he's the owner of It Starts Here Fitness in Warwick, Rhode Island, where he does personal training, group training, and OCR training. Uh, coach Brad, how are you doing today? No, fantastic. Thanks, Mike. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to have you on here and uh, definitely want to learn a little bit more about you and, and uh, just talk OCR with you, if that's cool. Absolutely. So let's start with, you know, kind of your background. Where did you, how did you get involved with, you know, racing OCR, uh, becoming an SGX coach and, you know, training others to do that? Well, I was looking for a way to build my philosophy within training, um, getting different types of fitness groups together and hitting all of our fitness goals at once. And how, how can we bring that, you know, as a family, you know, as a competitive nature. And one thing that stuck to me was at that time I was looking at tough mutters and I was looking at Spartans um, and just like anything else that evolves. Um, so did, you know, our philosophy when beginning the races. So the tough mutter, um, we liked it because it was like, it's a teamwork activity. You know, everybody had to help each other out throughout the obstacle. So it was a lot of team building stuff, stuff that I wanted to bring to the table that was pretty much lacking um, by any kind of external factor. You know, we as people, we like to be competitive no matter what we do, education, working, money, uh, fitness, being an athlete. And um, the one thing that separates us from being a kid and now is playing for a team. So when you're doing something like uh, like a mutter where you have to work together and pull us up over the obstacles, that's teamwork and team building. And, you know, that kind of really, you know, hammered in, you know, our goal set on that. And it kind of took us to the next level of where we want to go. And we didn't know at the time, you know, it was just, you know, we, we did Mount Snow and that mountain itself was an obstacle, never mind the obstacles itself. <laughs> and, it was, it was very challenging. It, it was very rewarding. It's probably one of my more memorable events uh, out there because it's the first one. And I just love the, the challenge of it mentally and physically because your body will, will not break before your mind. Your mind will break first in most cases unless you get hurt uh, during the race. Um, and then I decided, you know what? I was introduced with Spartan doing the Fenway in Boston. And I like the difference in that because... I became a competitor within myself. And the reason for it is because the GPS tracking system, you go in and you have time base, you can see where you are with your other um, age brackets, you can go into elite. So I liked how they built it. So if you want to be a competitor and be an elite competitor, you have that ability. If you just want to, to race, you have that in all age brackets as well. And what I liked about it is that it's individual based. Yes, you start as a team, but then you kind of branch off and you attack it. While other trainers, you know, we all we can all stick together. Our philosophy within that is, hey, you know, most of the obstacles you're going to have to do on your own. So you 
start together, we don't end together, but we'll wait for you at the finish line <laughs> kind of uh, atmosphere. So that's the pretty much how we broke into um, going into Spartan and kind of leaving the Tough Mudders behind and only focusing on that. And then with, with working with, um, with Spartan, becoming an SGS coach, just opened up new, new doors for me personally. Uh, opened up my idea for, you know, different training philosophies, uh, improve our training. And I just liked what the, you have the Spartan races themselves and SGX. SGX is there for people to get off that couch, you know, do a sense of really pushed on that. And, you know, um, that's why I love that within that program, when you run those classes, we're hitting all different energy, um, energy levels. We're all Y'all hitting um, range of motion in the class, strength in the class, and endurance in the class. It just fits well on how it's presented all around and within a one-hour training spectrum. So that's kind of where I fell into it. And I, my goal is to be more versed and help them out to push that. And that's why at all the races around New England, I volunteer at the SGX coaching um, event where you train people or help people learn how to climb a rope before they even do a race. A lot of times people coming in, never doing a Spartan race, they don't know how to climb a rope because it's not at a traditional gym. So they can look for your guidance, you know, 15, 20 minutes beforehand. Hey, can you kind of help me out with this? I'm like, yeah, we can teach you different methods. So, which is important too, when it comes down to uh, obstacles, because you don't have control of the weather and there's more than one way to do an obstacle. So being well diverse in the different methods will help you be prepared. If the ropes are wet, would the S method of climbing the rope or the J method be better? So, you know, we teach both at that uh, coach's zone. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I, I've done a few, uh, uh, volunteered at a few races and it is cool to help people. You know, a lot of people, you need that strength level first, right? You need to get strong and be prepared for whatever's going to get thrown at you. But you also have to have some of that technique down. And that's where I think a lot of people get caught up where it's, yeah, I lift, you know, five days a week and I run but I have no clue how to climb a rope. And, um, you know, some people will pick it up and it's like, I'm, they're like, I, I'm so happy. I came by the, the booth and tried a few because I got it in the race and I don't think I would have ever got it otherwise. So if, if, uh, if you're listening and haven't checked out the SGX, um, the coaches that are there to help you, I definitely would. Cause you, like you said, there's no one way to do a lot of these obstacles and all of us coaches, have a different perspective, maybe different tips, ways we show it. Uh, and it's just a great way to pick up on some tips you may, may never have thought of before. Uh, I'm curious, you, you mentioned when you went through the SGX pro program, it kind of changed your philosophy and, and how you integrated into what you, you know, were already doing. I'm just curious, you know, how, how it influenced you and how it affected maybe what you were doing before and, and new things that you might've started to implement there. Uh, the first thing is really diving into the recovery aspect of training. Um, you know, we've, we've all preach the recovery aspect that you need it, uh, but diving into what they're trying to push in the proper way of recovery is, is kind of where, you know, I was lacking as a coach and that I kind of focused towards, you know, and that would be as far as, you know, how do you, you know, taper off your training before a race and what type of race and understanding, you know, the time periods within it, because there's three, there's typically three different types of spot races. You got the sprint, you got the super, you got the beast, and there's different levels within that. Um, so to understand 
okay, we do need a period to taper off. What should be the percentage? What's a healthy percentage? And, you know, what's going to get us going at that race and fly it up? Because mentally, you know, before any race, I would go gun-ho, gun-ho until, you know, three days before the race because I want to feel strong. But, you know, I was wrong on that. And um, I'm not afraid to admit you know, my faults. And it's not until you start opening up your mind to different perspectives and then trying it out. You have to try it out and see how it worked. And, you know, I've been working with wrestlers and, and trying to, you know, explain, listen, we're going to go through, you know, the week before we're going to taper down to, you know, 60%, 40%. Then we're going to do some yoga stuff and then you're going to be well rested. But then I want you to be, you know, hungry for that match. You know, I want, you know, and that's the type of thing that I wanted to install upon all the people that are doing the races too, is, you know, the worst thing you can do is train, you know, one month, eight weeks, you know, maybe even doing an ultra beast, nine months and then you get hurt on the last month because you're trying to push too hard trying to get that little extra game and those could hurt you in the long term and then affect that that race so instead of having an enjoyable race day you're having an agonizing you know pain that you have to deal with just to complete it so when you're doing a race you should i always stress embrace embrace the energy at the race you know especially in the start you want to embrace some of, you know, the fear, especially you, you newcomers going to any kind of OCR race. Um, just embrace it. It's exciting because that's going to fuel, fuel you for the next one when you're successful. You know, and if you're not successful, you're going to learn what you're not successful with and then build upon that and break it down. But then after the race, we have to hammer on. All right, let's go into recovery mode. Let's get the proper nutrition. So that way we're not hitting our energy systems and and just destroying it after the race where we need a time for recovery, recovery up from our bodies and a cellular level and, you know, physically within our muscles. So, okay. How fast do we taper off from coming on? Especially when you start doing those, you know, ultra beasts where you're burning over 5,000 calories, your body's broken. <laughs> so what is the healthy recovery for that? And kind of, you know, gearing our clients in that direction. I think that's one of the most important things I've, I've taken from that um, SGX. Well, I, I, I like the, how you, you know, you said like um, you want to be hungry for the race, right? Cause uh, how many people they do beat themselves up right till the day of the race. And they, they're so afraid that they're going to lose something if they, if they don't work out as hard as possible. Um, but I, I say the same thing. Like the goal is you're super excited to be out there. Your body is like dying to go run, not like limping in. I, you know, I've had clients where they just, they can't get this idea of a taper and they just do too much. And then they get to the race and they're fatigued. And it's, you know, if we remember training is breaking your body down, right? So I don't wanna like the, the point is to recover from that in order to peak performance, but so many people have a hard time with that. So I, I don't know if you have any recommendations because I know uh, one of my clients called it uh, the taper tantrum, right? Where we start cutting down on those workouts and they got upset about that. I don't know if you have any strategies or just what you tell clients that are like, I don't want to, I'm too afraid of losing if we cut back. Any recommendations there? Well, depending on the event itself. Okay. So if this is something where 
we're doing long term. Okay, say let's just say the Ultra Beast because that's a good example. Um, and for those that may not know what the Ultra Beast is, you're dealing with sixty different obstacles. You're running the course twice. It's probably anywhere. The one I've done two. You're looking at thirty six miles on a mountain. Um, so for those that are gearing towards something like that, you can play with that ahead of time where you encourage a client to sign up for a smaller race, maybe like a 5K. I say, listen, you know, if, he, if they're really adamant about it, you can say, listen, I will pay for this race if you do it my way, okay? This is how I want you to do it. I say, we are gonna follow this philosophy. We're gonna drop down two weeks before the race. You're gonna go around 60 to 80% energy expenditure, okay? The last week we'll go, you know, 30 to 50 percent energy expenditure, but the uh, the exercise to themselves on that that last uh, the week before is I do all body weight activity, you know, just so that you get, you do have that pump in the body, but you're not going to risk yourself doing cleans and jerks and Olympic lifts and doing some crazy stuff. We're going to keep it simple, keep it to the basics, but keep it challenging so that they they activate those muscles and then. Okay, what we're going to do is yoga. And then this is what I want for nutrition. We're going to hit the nutrition. And I want you to follow the nutrition because if you break from that, you know, day or two before the race day, that's going to affect the, the factor. Have them experience it. Okay. Then have them come back. How did you feel? That worked. So then they actually, they're actively involved in doing it. They understand it and they're going to push through it. And a good example was um, I run a lot of my big events like the altars um i do the the monk is greek or creek i always get those two confused in the winter time the, the winter race uh up in new york um i race with someone that's 15 years younger than me i do that because i push him because with experience because he wants to go fast 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 and i tell him during the race we got to slow it down a little you know what have to you know, not exhort ourselves, but then he pushes me to keep up with a specific pace. So in the first leg of the race, he's, you know, he's kind of pushing me in the second, I have the energy and I kind of push him. So it's a symbolic relationship. So, uh, you know, that's important too, but he did long story short, he ended up, ended up doing, um, uh, the Killington ultra beast, but he was on the keto diet, trying to do an ultra, the keto diet and not having the, the proper carbs destroyed him for the first time, you know, he did not complete the race. And that, you know, and I use that as an example of how, you know, not only physically do you have to taper off, but also you have to keep your nutrition in check because he did the, the tapering, like I explained, but his nutrition was different. His nutrition was based on getting lean. Obviously it's not made for one of those long enduring races. So therefore, yes, he did what I asked, but yet, but no, he did not do the proper nutrition. So, you know, you need uh, an even balance between that to have someone really understand and actually feel the difference, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another question that I, I see a lot and, and that I've gotten before is kind of what you started to talk about on the flip end. So we've done the race, whatever it is, you know, ultra sprint, you know, whatever kind of race it was. The question is, when can I start training hard again? Uh, so I don't know, again, what, what's your process of bringing somebody back now? You know, we talked about recovery. Where do we get started after the race is over? I would at least take, depending on the race itself, you know, on the smaller ones, you could take a couple of days off and the longer ones, I would take a, like the ultras, I would take a week off. 
it's not going to kill you to take a week off, let the body fully recover, you know, and then you start jumping back into the basics. You know, I, I'm a strong believer in relative body strength first. You know, if you can't do a push-up, you can't do anything. Okay. Then you have the absolute strengths where, you, you know, you're lifting, lifting for power, you're, you're lifting with the weights. Okay. So I would begin with the process of, you know, getting the body moving again with some uh, mobility stuff, begin with the relative body weight training stuff, you know, for the first week and then jump right, then you can start, start going right back into it at different percentages. And that would determine on a lot of different factors too. Did you get injured? Did you strain anything? You know, so, you know, there's other external factors, but I think that's a good baseline to start at. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and I usually like, you know, talking to people, cause you're right. It, it depends. Some people recover faster, some slower, you know, you're going to have to use a lot of that individual need there. And um, it, I think one thing, you know, how sore people are after a race, like think how, how you're walking down those stairs, you know, after an ultra beast or, or something like that, like, just think what's a squat going to look like? What's, you know, what's a lunge going to look like if it's not going to look like your normal squat or lunge, why are we doing it? Right. We're just setting yourself up for setting yourself up for poor movements and another injury, whatever it might be. So it's, you know, if you're still pretty sore and you're not moving like you did before the race, I think we have a little bit more work to do recovery wise. Mike, I want to touch base on that too, is where if we're coming back from that race and we're still sore, like you mentioned, lunges and squats, you know, I'm, I'm huge into my studio with the TRX, the suspension mm -hmm. training system, you know, not only for the beginner, but for also for the advanced people too. And also recovery, you know, if you're, if you're still sore and we know, you know, to increase recovery, you know, we need proper nutrition, we need proper water intake. Um, we also need to get more blood flow into the muscle groups for recovery. Okay. So those are key factors, but if you're sore and you can't quite put a lot of weight bearing on it, then use something like, a, like a TRX or use it maybe like a bar and, you know, take some of the, have that load or the TRX, take some of the pressure away from the muscle. So that way you can properly go down into whatever movement that you're trying to accomplish and do it. Or same thing with push-ups too. Maybe your, maybe your weakness that you weren't aware of it was, you know, push-ups or rows or something. You can use band assisted stuff too to start to taper back into um, uh, full recovery mode. Absolutely. Almost like, you know, reversing that taper, right? Yeah, just build, you, you kind of broke it down and then we're going to build it back up. And it's okay to do less than body weight, right? Assisted stuff and eventually get into body weight and then get back to your training when it's, when it's appropriate again. So, uh, one thing I want to talk about with you, you, uh, a lot of our listeners are looking to really step up their training and they're looking for every advantage they can get, right. They want to, they, they want to, you know, do anything possible to, to get on that podium, to finish the race burpee free, whatever it might be. Uh, and you contributed to an article with Spartan and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. If anybody wants to read the full article, uh, on six ways we can level up our training. So I wanted to, uh, touch on maybe some or all, if we have time of these strategies and have you elaborate a little bit, if that's cool. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, number one was, uh, location. So, uh, what specifically with location are we, we thinking about when talking about our training? Okay. We want to know where the event is being held. Okay. So depending on where the week, uh, the race is being held would determine on, uh, training strategies. Okay. Um, like with the sprints, you have 
trail running sprints or you have stadium uh, sprints. You know, two different training methods. You know, um, when you're dealing with any kind of trail running, you know, you have ankle mobility, you have muscle groups, you need to work on balance, you need to work on stability, you need to work on uh, more factors on those aspects to, to stay healthy um, on that aspect. Now, if you're looking at running at a stadium, um, you're doing a lot of stairs. So you want to incorporate more stair climbing or do more, more hills and activate more of an active lunge. You know, a lot of people don't have specific tools to use, meaning if you go into a regular gym, they don't have a Jacob's ladder or not Jacob's ladder, a stair climber. Then how do you incorporate that? There's no hills. There's no trail running. There's nothing around you. How do you do it? Well, Better get used to doing lunges. Better get used to doing step-ups with weights, with resistance. You want to try to make it as challenging as possible. So that way that the event itself seems easy. And that will take time too. And it will take, takes a great coach to kind of get you towards that direction. And also an open mind, not only an open mind, but I want to say be creative. Like the more creative the coach is and always look at risk and reward factors on it, as far as getting you prepared, the better you're going to be, you know, maybe at a weighted vest with dumbbells and you do step-ups, maybe you just, instead of doing um, alternating step-ups, target one leg at a, at a rep, you know, be creative, be fun. And if you're, if you're not training and the training's not fun, then you're doing it wrong too. Okay. You don't want to go into your training where it's awful. Now um, there's a rule on that, that, I kind of break on that is that once someone does like the, the sprints and they want to do more of the advanced stuff, like the, the beast and the ultras, then I create workouts that, you know, I'm going to make you uncomfortable and you want to get used to being uncomfortable because I guarantee you out there, you're not going to be comfortable and you just got to embrace it. But, uh, uh, but that is one factor is where is it? Is it trail running? Is it, at, at, is it at an event where it's level ground where you're going to rely more on long distance running? You know, and all those have different types of training methods. Um, for the most part, for most of the ones I train for, you know, I go long distance running. Um, I also do resistance running too, uh, whether hills or not. Um, I also go for running where I'm going for time. It's going to be a time base, a mile and a half. I want to go for my best time. So I'm adding different energy systems. So I'm well prepared for that event. The exception to the rule would, would that be is if I'm doing anything in the mountain. If it's mountain-based, I'm doing less of a sprint or what I'll call um, um, short distance, one mile sprints or runs. I'll do more long distance runs, like 10 miles. I'll build myself up to it. Not going for speed, but just going for long distance to train myself endurancely. Because uh, you're not going to be running up the, the mountain all the time. And I'll be training myself a lot with leg strength, uh, both two factors. One, stair climbing, lunges, but I'm also going to be doing a lot of assisted bands. You know, I want to build up all my assisted muscle groups because I want them to be structurally ready and sound for when my legs get tired, they're kind of helping me. So I'm not relying on going down a mountain and putting on the weight, an unnecessary load on my knees. And I'm focusing on the hamstrings. I'm focusing on the glutes. I'm focusing on the basic techniques of accomplishing it. So you have to look at things that we don't normally train for in that aspect, you know, uh, ankle mobility and, and things like that. Mm -hmm.
you know, you, you actually kind of touched on a couple of these. I wanted to ask you, uh, one of the other things you talked about was train for the terrain that you're going to be dealing with. And I know one thing that comes up that you kind of mentioned is, uh, what if I don't have the mountains and it's a mountain run, right? So, uh, it sounds like you're talking about, well, we know what muscles and we know what needs to get stronger in order to do that. So that's going to be our focus. If we, if we can't get to the mountains, we're going to, you know, get creative, like you said, and, and build on what we have. For, for one thing I want to do is uh, I read, I read an article before I did my first ultra beast. Um, I wanted to see what methods people are using. And I read one article and it struck me. The guy did 250 lunges a week. You know, they're all at once. Um, and it's with a load. So I thought to myself, you know what? This is a guy that failed his first um, ultra beast. I never done one before. I've done beast before, but never to the long distance. And then I decided, you know what? Let me take a step out of his page. Okay. That helped me greatly on that. But then what well, I knew what I was lacking on that would be engaging any kind of stepping up motion where you have to rely on like strength. Uh, so that they don't get tired. So then finding a box and doing step-ups, step-ups, step-ups. If you don't have a stair climber, mimic it. I know it could be boring. So, and make it fun. Make it time-related. Make it, you know, step-related. Make it weight-related. You can do it intervals where you're not there for a long time, and then you can do it for a long distance. But try to engage and prepare yourself as much as possible. Um, as far as the ankle support, I use a bozo ball. I use a rock port. If those that people that may not know what a rock port is, it's a flat surface and on it is, look like little half balls on it, shoes off, you start doing squats with them, start doing lunges with them, it starts, basically your foot's on an uneven surface because of the, um, the balls that's on it and you start building up the ankle stability within it. Um, so that is a key factor. And last but not least, plan on a vacation to go visit a mountain and do it. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, you never know what you're going to get yourself into until you do it. And it's better be a little bit prepared and say, listen, uh, a couple months before the event, I'm going to go to maybe a mountain or a train or find a train that is similar to it. You know, uh, let me touch base on that. I kind of went off the deep end on that. So find a, so find a mountain, find it and do it. You know, pack your bag, pack your hydration with the nutrition stuff that you normally would prepare for it. So that way, you know, the weight that's actually going to be on your back, get the shoes that you're going to use because you don't want to have the blisters, you know, anything that you would actually incorporate into that race, do it there. The more you practice with that, the more prepared you're going to be. That's the first thing. Okay. And then in the meantime, if you don't have it, I guarantee you some place, most cases, there's some kind of Hills we have in where I live in Warwick, Rhode Island, not too far. We have what's called the dunes. It's just, sand hills non-stop so we just take our take our people there and we just go up and down the hills up and down we do sprints we jog around the terrain you know it gets us go to to target the resistance part of some kind of mountain or me might do some some lunges up and down the mount up and down the terrain too to sit to uh, stimulate what we would experience there and don't forget you know depending on the terrain as well if it's more of um if it's more of sand, okay, then you want to train a little differently. If you're going to be going, you know, more on the rocks and there's more rocks, then you got to train a little differently too. You know, what I mean by that is don't forget to incorporate 
you know, your calves, you know, don't forget to incorporate, um, you know, your squats and different types of squats to, to, to target those muscle groups, you know, so important. And, uh, what's also important too, is try not to cramp up. You know, we, we use a lot of, um, we'll just stop at like, like McDonald's for water, but we'll grab like the salt packs and we'll start cramping up, throw some salt, grab some water, the cramps start going away. That, that, that right there saved my butt so many times um, at one of the ultras that, you know, you want to you want to try different methods. Maybe you like mustard to, to help with the cramping, but you don't know what works best for your body until you bring it. So that's what I mean. Just bring a bunch of stuff, try it out as you go, be more prepared mentally and physically as you can. Yeah, absolutely. You brought up a couple of great things there. And uh, I, I think that important thing with the terrain, a lot of times we are thinking, you know, incline, but what about what your feet have to do? Is it rocky? Is it sandy? And like you said, incorporating some things to get to challenge your feet and your ankles to work a little bit harder too. I think it's great, great advice there. Um, I'm curious. So we, with a lot with uh, um, incline training, do you recommend anything like the descent, like climbing down, running down. Um, are you doing anything in particular there? I'm teaching my clients how to run down and run up hills. That's the first thing you have to do. Okay. The first thing is how do you safely go up and down the hills and not put pressure on the joints until you can do that first, you cannot go into the strength training, the endurance training within that. So that's number one, you know, a lot of it is when you're going down the hill, you know, you want to make sure that the weight is on the hamstrings and the hamstrings and, and the glutes. You know, you don't want to be front loaded. You don't want to put that pressure on the patella. Your knees will give out. You, you have sore knees. You won't, you won't complete it. You know, you're going to be tired. You're going to be fatigued in saying cues, whatever cues you have, you know, to stay focused is huge on that. You know, you're going to find that, you know, when the tightness fatigue steps in, you're going to break form, but you're going to know when you're going to break form because you're going to feel the pressure where it shouldn't be. It's up to you to mentally get yourself, you know, back into it. So, you know, to help with that type of mental cues, you know, one method would be, you know, I took this out of the Spartan page book when they used to do it a long time ago when they wrote codes and you had to memorize your code. And then at random, somebody's going to ask you it. So <laughs> I took the cue at the race and applied it to the training. Okay you know, halfway through the workout, give me that, you know, give me the code I gave you, you know, just so that you stay mentally focused, you know, so that, you know, the mental focus is just as important as the physical focus. If, you're, if you stray just a little bit, that's when you're going to hit the rock and you're going to twist. That's when everything's going to fall on that end. Uh, but once that foundation techniques down, just like any kind of other training, and then it becomes, okay, do I want to train today? for distance or do I want to train today for speed? Do I want to train for added, um, added weight load? So then you have to decide how you want to train. If that makes sense. So yeah, you, no, perfect. It would be, you know, are you using a weighted vest? Are you using dumbbells, a sandbag, you know, you know, are you going based on time? Are you going to, are you going based on distance, you know, and you don't want to keep doing the same thing week in, week out, because once again, it's going to get boring, but you do want to monitor your progress, you know, within it. Yeah, I think that's, that's great advice too, right? We can get stuck doing the same thing, right? I have my, you know, my loop that I go on and I just see how fast I can run it, you know, which is fine. But like you said, it's, it's training one thing and one thing only we need a little variety in there. So 
whether it is, hey, I'm, I'm going to take the time. I got to go drive out a little while to get to a mountain to change up my scenery and, and change up my, my terrain. Or it's, I need to go longer, right? I, I, I've been doing the same five-mile loop for a year. It's time to, time to step it up and do something different. And I think uh, what you said too is the, yeah. the one thing uh, not to cut you off is that we get so based on numbers sometimes that we get lost. What I mean by that is, you know, we could do, like you mentioned, the same loop, same everything, same time. There's so many different factors that, you know, we know that's there, like the environment, you know, we know that, you know, sleep, nutrition is all part of it. So, you know, not being discouraged because you did not do as well the last time is one fundamental thing that we forget to stay focused with. You know, you're out there now. You know what? You're better than what you did yesterday. You know, you're keeping it consistent. Not to get hung up. Man, I lost two minutes on the time. I know I'm better than that. Well, you can be upset about it, but then also monitor what the conditions were that could potentially contribute. So you're not, so you're not beating yourself up mentally that you are getting weaker, weaker, weaker. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and just because you're slower doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, right? It could have been pouring that day, right? And, or whatever. So there, there's all sorts of things to consider there. Um, I wanted to, one last thing to touch on from your article, and, and I don't think it's going to be a big surprise for anybody listening, but you mentioned, you talk about grip. Right. And obviously grip is going to be a big, big thing. So, but I just always love other, other coaches, uh, strategies and techniques, uh, anything in particular that you're trying to really focus on any tools or, uh, anything that would be helpful if, Hey, I need some grip work. Uh, that's a good question. I, I constantly mix that up in the class and I found from when I first did, hang on one second, I'm going to go in the other room. Other trainers in here. Yeah. <laughs> We got a quick video tour of the facility. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> we have based on if um, I should actually show you around, but I had clients in there, other people, clients in there, and I don't like to, you know, get them involved in any kind of um, video without their permission first. That's yeah, the no, no worries. Within the studio. Um, in fact, you know, they weren't even supposed to be here at the time and something must have happened. Um, <laughs> so, well, I can show you this room. This is a little smaller room. Um, it's a sub-level. So what we do is uh, at my studio, I own 2,600 square feet. Um, in that room that we're just passing, um, it's based on sport, sports athleticism. Uh, there's a strength component. There's also 30 different obstacles in there. Believe it or not, there is. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's hide it very well. And in this room, uh, I sublease from a person that actually sells gym equipment. So this is his little... Um, showroom, but we can use it, you know, in case a client feels uncomfortable being with other people, or, you know, maybe it's a space where there's too many trainers in at once and we can still focus on it. So, um, oh. but anyways, um, questions on grip strength. Uh, the first thing we always start with is farmer's walks. Uh, that's the first thing that you can do because everyone can be successful with that. And it's based on whatever the hand grip can, can handle, but just monitor the progress within it. You know, either go for distance or go for uh, weight. Mix that up. Now, within the farmer's walks, we can incorporate the pinch grip. So those that may not know what the pinch grip is, is um, that's when you're 
your hands are straight and you're just gripping it with your thumb and your and tips of your fingers. So you're only holding on by the tips. Um, so you can do the same thing. We use um, plates. That's the simplest thing. If you don't wanna go out and buy tools, you can just use simple plates that's already provided at the studio or at the gym, wherever you may be. You know, if you're, you know, they do make like $45, $60 different devices that you can simulate that, but why spend extra money when you don't have to? The challenging one will be the Y grip strength. You know, we have uh, extended thick bars at my studio that's very elongated, they're sanded, so that when we move, the sand moves with it. So not only do we have to work on our hip our grip strength, but we have to work on the balance within that. Um, so that is one way to work on the, uh, the Y grip. Now, I found when I first started doing the Spartans, climbing the rope at the events, that was a lot thicker <laughs> uh, than what it, what it is now. So, you know, practicing doing things um, with a thinner rope would help too. You know, you don't always have to, if you don't have a rope to climb, but maybe you might have, you can go to like an Ace Hardware store, or maybe Home Depot and buy some rope at different lengths, relatively cheap, and then start tying it to a sandbag or to a plate and just practice, you know, pulling a weighted load towards you. It's not the same, but you're getting used to the hand grip and the, and the grip of the strength. You know, you know, that's huge. You know, when we do our Hercules hoist at my studio, you know, our rope is hardly anything. And the one thing people complain about is it's so hard to grip. It's, it's slippery. Um, it kind of stings a little because you have to grip really hard so that the sandbag doesn't fall. But we did that for a reason. I want to make something as hard as possible so that when you go on the event day, it's easier. And I think that's what separates a lot of my training is that when we are into OCR training mode, you know, typically we don't do longer than an hour uh, training session. But if you're training for an event that's going to last hours, at least once a week, we're going out there with our, our first warm up is a mile. We come back, you know, after that we sprint and we do an obstacle or strength, or strength training exercise that incorporates something that would be beneficial for that race. And a lot of times it's grip strength too. So you sprint, come back, get tired and sprint. You know, a basketball player doesn't get better by just shooting free throws. They're sprinting and then they're doing it. So same thing applies. Once you start getting the hand grip strength, get exhausted, then challenge your hand grip strength. Mental fortitude. You have to start challenging that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We did the same thing on our hoist where nobody likes it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one, but you get to the race and it's not a big deal. And that's the whole point. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, coach, uh, I took up a lot of your time and I really appreciate it. Um, uh, like I said, I'll put the link to that article in the show notes for this episode so everybody can check it out. Uh, if anyone wants to learn more about you and, and look you up, where are some good resources for them? Uh, Facebook, you can always go there. Yeah, it starts here fitness. Uh, we haven't been really actively on that promoting um, a lot of content there, but you can reach me there just because of COVID with a lot of restrictions and whatnot. Uh, but we'll be posting more on that. Uh, you can email me at brad at uh, ishfitness.com. Uh, you can contact me on that. You know, that's my direct uh, email for this studio. Um, and once I become a little bit more active on Instagram, it's it starts here fitness. 
Uh, you can find me on that as well. And uh, Mike, if you want to throw out my phone number on it and anybody want, wants to text me, you know, if you have any questions, I'll be happy to pick up, pick up the phone and, you know, set a time. So, you know, if you're getting stuck on something, we can see where you're at and see how we can kind of get you over that hump. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll put all, all of your contact info and everything in the show notes so people can easily access it there. Uh, well, Coach, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you sharing your insight in this. And, and I know our, our listeners are going to find this helpful. Awesome. Thanks again, Mike. My pleasure. All right. Well, another one in the books. That is going to do it for episode 83 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, I hope you found this useful and provide you some good insight into your own training program. I want to give a big thanks to SGX Coach Brad Lane for uh, sharing his thoughts and insights into uh, some of the things he's doing with his clients. So I hope you found that interview useful. And also a big thanks to our sponsors, Venga CBD and Handmaster Plus. And remember, if you, uh, if you haven't picked up a copy of my book, make sure you head on over to Amazon or you can check out the link in the show notes for my book, Fuel and Fire, with some great tips and strategies to help you train for your next OCR. Uh, well, that'll do it for now. Don't forget to check out the show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode 83. And until next time, keep training smarter.